Armstrong and Joe Getty. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Live from Studio C. C, Senor. A, a dimly lit wood room deeper than the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Communications Compound to kick off a brand new week. And today we're under the tutelage of our general manager Volodymyr Zelensky and the people of Ukraine of course they had a rough weekend they're gonna have many many rough days I'd say so Uh, but I'll tell you what I've come across a whole bunch of different interesting stories out of that conflict over the last several days that I look forward to discussing Excellent. And I have been on the lookout for unrelated stories of interest as the world does keep spinning. So it won't be all blood and grief for y'all. So Nancy Pelosi is introducing legislation today that has a lot of bipartisan bipartisan support to big finish now. Nancy Pelosi introducing legislation with a ton of bipartisan support to cut off Russian oil. Is that going to happen, do you think? Uh, the political winds are certainly howling in that direction. I, I'm i not sure I've heard any meaningful voice of dissent on the idea of banning import of any Russian oil. Well, the White House was hemming and hawing about it, and uh, Jen Psaki was over the weekend because I don't think they wanted to commit to it. Uh, it is absolutely crazy that we're giving Russia millions and millions and millions of dollars every day for their oil when we could be producing it ourselves. It's insane. It is. It is. It's discouraging. It's one of the craziest geopolitical moves in a time of war that maybe has ever happened. Yeah, whenever we bring this up, and I think this is some of the complexity of it, uh, one of our beloved listeners in the oil business says, guys, the problem is it's a global commodity. It's like vowing not to buy any Russian wheat. It's not quite as easy as that. It's not like super direct. But I, I, I get the idea it can be done somehow. And we could produce our own oil where we don't need to buy oil from them. At least we're not giving them our money. How does that not matter? It's, it's just crazy. It's crazy. And uh, and uh, all the the United States and all these European countries were were going this direction all along, knowing knowing Russia had that sort of power over the rest of the world. But eh, what are you going to do? You yeah, know, we're greasing the skids. The economy stays good. I get elected again. Let's not all get crazy. And here. it makes the green people in my party think we're doing something by letting a country that doesn't care at all about the environment drill for the oil instead of us. Exactly. That but is look how sh- virtuous I am. Do you see? Do you see? Just moronic. Yes. By the way, if anybody happens to be well-versed in uh, the global oil trade and can explain why it's kind of uh, difficult and complicated in a clear way, email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Here's Keep most... in mind that we are half-wits. <laughs> Here's the most interesting thing that I've seen happen, though. or I, I, We'd all seen it happening. It's just uh, somebody from uh, an outfit called The Bulwark put it together. The Bulwark highlighting a strange quirk. In a reality in which we now find ourselves, the American government is not at war with Russia, but American civil society essentially is. Some of the actions of private individuals and institutions 
were the predictable consequences of the United States international sanctions imposed upon Russia, but many others have arisen spontaneously. The uncoordinated reactions of people and organizations moved by their humanity to oppose Putin or whatever their reasons are. All kinds of different corporations, and I've got a list of them here, the the uh, you know whether it's Netflix or TikTok or Apple or BP or whoever it is, all the credit card companies, all, all the, the payment companies, all the credit card companies, all these different companies that have Google, Microsoft, uh, Audi, GM, Ford, all these different companies that have pulled completely out of Russia and. And the bulwark brings up the question, so if there's retaliation against these companies, is the government step in? I mean, because they made their own decision, or should they have to work with the government? Oh, you can't make them, but it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I scanned that piece, and I, I agree with you. It's really an interesting question. I mean, for instance, Airbnb has banned any new business in, uh, in Russia, which is a shame, because Judy and I were going to... Uh, Escape the heat this summer in Siberia, uh, but so if if Putin uh, sends his hackers after Airbnb and screws up their operations worldwide, costs zillions of dollars, blah blah blah. So uh, does the government have any responsibility in protecting those corporations that are acting out of, I think, conscience? And and I'm I'm thrilled to see it. Yeah. Or if um, you know, this is not an example because Russia is a a, a a terrible government. Putin's a terrible guy, and he needs to be dead today. But if you had a little squishier situation where, you know, half the country's thinking, I don't know about this or whatever, and all these corporations decide, like the George Floyd thing, maybe, where all the corporations are on the side of one issue where the whole country's not quite as solid and decided to go after a country, does the government stop that? Or does it, can corporate America declare war on another country if they decide they don't like them? Apparently they can. What a great question. What a great question. You know, I have a feeling that, and that's certainly possible. Say, for instance, in Germany, the white German cops kill a, a black immigrant fella, as they have, you know, uh, quite an immigrant population there, or Middle Eastern or whatever, and, and, and America goes crazy in the way they did over George, George Floyd. What then? Something tells me this era of corporate virtue signaling activism is going to be fairly short-lived, as they realize that it uh, it opens a can of worms that is pretty inconvenient for doing business. Well, do you see this as uh, virtue signaling uh, corporate activism? The, the credit card companies pulling out of Russia? Uh, I suppose you could characterize it that way. Uh, on the other hand, there's a difference between virtue signaling and clearly doing the right thing. It just happens to be in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though. I mean, although it's... you point out, I think you made an excellent point. You need to, especially as a corporate uh, governor, you need to recognize that. Okay, the fact that half of the population of the United States of America disagrees with that point of view shows that it's an idea that's in play, and and there are complexities to it. And let's not make a simple ham-handed uh, action or reaction to a complex issue. I just think that'd be a reasonable way to look at it, and I'm looking at you, several American corporations. Can you imagine being the average Russian trying to run a business or just live your life right now where your Visa card doesn't work, you can't get money out of the ATM, the money you can get, if you can get your hands on any, maybe you had some in a coffee can, is worth, what, a third of what it was two weeks ago? Um, I don't know. How would you even survive? Of course, that's nothing compared to what it's like to be a Ukrainian in any of the cities right now. Yeah, yeah. I know the New York Times is uh, reporting that thousands and thousands of Russians are fleeing Russia 
They're just thinking this is going to be unworkable here. They believe that the the hell unleashed by the sanctions and the corporations, everything we've been talking about, is going to be long lived. It's not going to be a blip at all. They think Russia is in it. Another non-state actor that's playing a huge role that is really interesting, but uh, first we ought to start the show officially, I suppose. Ah, clearly. Uh, I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this. It's Monday. It's March 7th, my oldest son's birthday. I became a parent 12 years ago today. It is year the, the year 2022. New you in 22. We're Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this program. Happy birthday to Sam. Let's launch into action according to FCC rules and regulations for which we are bleeping, bleeping sticklers. Here we go at Mark. Military experts have been surprised that despite having superior firepower, the Russian army has been slowed by aging equipment, poor motivation, and inept leadership. So basically, they're the Lakers. <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> Did not see that coming. So there's another non-state actor that we talked about uh, over the last week or so, but they're they're still really doing their thing. Is anonymous, whoever that is or they are, whether it's one guy or a team of a hundred, nobody knows. But um, uh, they're they're going after all kinds of different things in Russia, including breaking into state television on a regular basis and putting up the real news. Oh, and uh, jamming that on the air. Images of what's actually going on in Ukraine, which is uh, which is something. That's that's the sort of thing that was completely undoable not that many years ago. I mean, there's just sure. no possible way an outside entity could get news into the Soviet Union that way. You know, I'm disappointed in myself. I thought uh, you were going to end that sentence with, and, and they hacked in and put on, you know, porn or the middle finger or oh, a no, message no, no, no. or something. No, what could be more powerful than the, the truth? No, we got into this a lot while you were uh, abandoning the country in its time of need playing yes. golf. Hmm. Uh, no, Anonymous has dis- absolutely decided that Russia's on the wrong side of this whole thing and gone off, gone after their military, their banking, their all kinds of different things and are waging war against Russia right now. And Russia is up against some bad asses, which is one of the reasons they're having so much trouble with uh, some of the stuff that they're trying to pull off. But I tell you what, the world is never boring. So you have a vigilante group of... <sighs> conscience expressing activists hackers going around enforcing their will as to what's right across borders and governments and wow what a wild world well right and that's the problem as a non-state actor of course states often make bad decisions too but uh anonymous anonymous if you've been following over the years we've been talking about it they they often are way on the wrong side of things in my opinion and going after the wrong people for the wrong reasons so but they get to just like visa gets to decide whether they're going to do business in russia and uh, so you have non-government entities that have more power than they've ever had before in a global world to like wage war on their own just really interesting it's nuts well, the, the, the physics of the thing would suggest that Anonymous will decide, you know, we have gone off kind of half-cocked at times. It's been a little adolescent, a little emotional, and we need to settle down. We need to have, you know, a CEO and a board of directors and that sort of thing. And eventually, they just become a stodgy, flabby old uh, institution or something, like the UN, for instance. And some uh, young, hungry uh, firebrands will pop up and take their place. Unfortunately, that news is not getting disseminated around Russia good enough, according to a New York Times article over the weekend that was fascinating. We'll have to talk about that later, but we do have mailbag coming up next. How does that look? Oh, it's good, as you might expect. It's good. It's good. It's fine. Yeah. People brought it over the weekend. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Reams of it. And uh, how Putin avoids assassination and coups is really interesting stuff as well. Oh, wow. Lookalikes. Among other things. 
It's a classic. I'm a balding man. Could I pull off Putin lookalike? You're a little squinty. Money in that. Well. Squinty. <laughs> Ferret <laughs> face. What, are you going to volunteer to be a Putin lookalike? Yeah, that's probably not good work. What sort of traitor are you? Um, our text line is 415-295-KFTC. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's so hard to figure out what's real and what's not in a in a war, especially oh, yeah. in the modern disinformation age. I mean, it's always been a thing, but uh, but anyway, there's a number of solid sources reporting that Belarusian Trumps, Belarusian Trumps were uh, were uh, troops. <laughs> Troops. Yeah. Belarusian troops were fleeing by the droves over the weekend, not wanting to be cannon fodder for Putin's crazy war. Which I could understand if it's true. It might have been two guys. It might have been a drove. How many in a drove? I don't know. Exactly. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I've been reading about the dissent in Russia, the thousands uh, arrested, the, the protesters, people fleeing the country. And I'm just not sure how seriously to take it or or how you know how completely true it is but you know that's the nature of war well if they knew what was going on it perfect it may make perfect sense the question is do they know what's going on which gets to the the big new york times story over the weekend on on uh, how russia has such tight control over the information over there we'll have to talk about later people people in ukraine calling back home the, the, the example of a woman calling her mom and telling her mom what's going on her mom saying no you must be mistaken honey Putin wouldn't do that, it, or it was an accident, or, you know. Wow. No, yeah. Mom, they're laying waste to the city. They're killing every man, woman, and child they can indiscriminately. No, 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 that's not what's happening. Wow, I've got a great companion piece uh, from a Ukrainian listener who's been in constant contact with friends and family in the old country, talking about their perceptions uh, and how they've differed at times from reality. So uh, we'll hit that maybe in the next segment or two. Here's your freedom-loving quote of the day. This, interestingly enough, from Alexei Navalny, the great Russian dissenter, who apparently still has access somehow to a platform to to speak his mind, or maybe it's his people doing it for him, I don't know. But Navalny said over the weekend to Russian protesters, you may be scared, but to succumb to this fear means to side with the fascists and murderers. It's much scarier than a fine for a rally, which you will also be helped to pay. And in bomb shelters and on the front line, it is much more terrible than a day in the special detention center. Do not succumb to fear. Take to the streets. Let the whole world see that Putin is not Russia. Hmm. Wow. That dude has courage. Yeah, I'd say. Mailbag. Marina, with the ironically Russian name from San Diego, writes, Joe, please tell Jack to stop saying an invasion could never happen here. Didn't he see Red Dawn? To this day, I make plans in my head of how I'm going to fight like a mad dog if these Reds hit our homeland. Well, I have seen Red Dawn, at least part of it, Marina, but I've also seen The Wizard of Oz, and I don't spend a lot of time preparing for flying monkeys. (laughs) Maybe that's your mistake. Among the many great blessings the United States of America can count, two of the the foremost among them, the Atlantic and the Pacific. Yeah, no kidding. Moving along, the infamous Kamala clip from last week trying to explain to an urban radio audience what was going on in Ukraine. Michael, do we have that? So 
Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Well, Scott from beautiful Olathe, Kansas, points out, it sounds like what she's doing is repeating how it was explained to her at her VP briefing. A good briefer knows you speak to your audience's knowledge level. (laughs) So that was her briefing. Kamala, Ukraine is in Europe. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, Let's see. Reno Joe says, you guys were talking about Russian spies in America. You'll mostly find them in areas that have defense contractors like D.C. that's crawling with them. I used to work for one of the Beltway Bandits uh, years ago. There are plenty of those businesses around. They've exploded now. It wouldn't surprise me if one one person in ten on the street in northern Virginia and D.C. have some sort of security clearance. Uh, most of these people are secretaries, admins, mailboys, tech guys, etc. cetera, uh, like reality winner. Remember her? But everybody needs their security clearance. And those are the people that the Russian moles are looking for. The person talking loudly on their cell phone in the grocery store, the homely girl at the gym, the guy bragging at the bar, the cynical smartest, smartass Snowden guy, for instance. The homely girl at the gym? What was that? Didn't need to go there. No. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Pat Sajak is asking Wheel of Fortune fans to stop making fun of the two contestants who were unable to solve an easy puzzle, saying, quote, have a little heart. Or as the contestants would guess, haze a nipple heave. (laughs) Oh, boy. You got to admit, that's a pretty good joke. Yes, I admitted it. Um, meanwhile, I'm glad we're not trying to do a radio show in Russia. In Russia. Russia is cracking down on media related to the war, making it a crime to spread what they call fake news. In reality, this means journalists could spend up to 15 years in prison simply for covering the story and practicing their craft. Yeah, especially if you're accurate about what's going on in any way, like use the term war or invasion or mention that anybody's gotten killed on either side, really. Or say bogged down. Yeah. This is clearly the case. Yeah, you can end up in prison. And they're cracking down more and more, and several of the uh, the remaining uh, free outlets for information there in Russia have gone off the air, etc., etc. The front story, Sunday New York Times, fascinating. Ukrainians find that relatives in Russia don't believe it's a war, and they go through a number of examples. Four days after Russia began dropping artillery shells on Kiev. A Ukrainian restaurateur was wondering why his father hadn't called to check on him. There's a war, I'm his son, and he just doesn't call. I'm trying to evacuate my children and my wife. Everything's extremely scary, so he tried to call his dad. He did not get the response he expected. His father didn't believe him. No, 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 stop, said his dad. Stop with this. He started to tell me how things in my own country are going. He started to yell at me and told me, look, everything is going like this because they are Nazis. So his father bought completely the idea that his son was living under a Nazi regime and was being freed by the Russians once they denazify the country. Uh, and they uh, they go through the uh, the you know the stuff that you can imagine about that about the state television only has stories that um, 
that are uh, in lines with the way of Vladimir and Putin is thinking. I'll give you another example here. It's a lot like NPR. By the way, on Friday, Russia banned <laughs> on Friday Russia banned Facebook and Twitter to try to stem the flow of any information getting into this con- in, into their country. Um, they got this a Valentina woman who wrote to her brother and sister in Russia to tell them that her son had spent days in a bomb shelter in Kiev in the suburb um, because of the intense fighting. They believe that everything is calm and that no one is actually shelling us. She said her siblings in Russia think that the Russians are striking, mil- striking military infrastructure only with precision, and that's it. With news stories regularly about how precise they're being able to take out, you know, anti-aircraft weapons and that sort of stuff. Wow. Wow. You would think they would say, uh, I guess you know better whether you're getting shelled than we do. This might be a story about Russian idiots. Uh, no, I've got more on that in a second, and that, okay. that's, that's the direction I want to go with it. Um, uh, one more uh, on that same woman. Um, she got a message from her sister. It said, no one is bombing Kiev, and you should actually be more afraid of the Nazis, whom your father fought against, and you should respect. Your children will be alive and healthy. We love the Ukrainian people, but you need to think hard about who you elected as president. Wow. The Jewish Nazi. So while the whole world and all Ukrainians are, uh, you know, in near worship of President Zelensky and his leadership, this woman's being told by her relatives in Russia that you have a Nazi for a president that you should be scared of and thankful for the for the, um, you know, the help. So I wish I had all the details on this uh, handy. I'm just going by memory of a podcast I listened to uh, recently. A guy wrote a book, he's done a bunch of studies. And it has to do with disinformation and, and, and the way it's affected all of us over the last several years and just the way the human brain works. But there are all kinds of examples done in studies of the way we stick with the first narrative we heard in spite of new evidence. It's just the way we're made. Right. And to, ex- to an extent that you can't even believe and I think if you if you if you ponder this for a while, you'll recognize times that you've done this in your life. So you heard originally that a movie was bad or he was a good person or, you know, whatever you've heard. It can be as simple. And I've noticed this in myself uh, as how to pronounce a certain word. Yeah, that's a good you, example. You, you are absolutely certain that's true, even though the, the source was no more credible than any other source. Yeah. And um, and you will stick with that. In the wake of new evidence for a very, very long time. And mm. it's a painful thing to turn that around and come to a different conclusion. And they've done all kinds of scientific experiments on this. Um, I, I remember one of them was you have college kids in a room and you uh, you tell them something and then you immediately tell them afterwards. Uh, now, what I just told you is not true. Then you test them later. And that group of people, a big chunk of them, will still believe the initial thing, even oh though the same people told them right afterwards, no, yeah. th- no, what I just told you is not true. It's just the way the human brain works. Yeah. Wow. And it's one of the reasons, th- and then and, and they got into uh, salesmanship and the way it can, you know, disinformation from governments or just salesmanship, you know, putting something in your head, even if it's. Even if it sounds kind of fishy to you, just somebody saying it to you and you, it being the first information you get about how great this car is or whatever, just it, it, it like sticks to your mind and it's really hard to shake. Yeah. And that's the way politicians can uh, can can move masses and it's very hard to move them back. 
and and all kinds of different examples. But uh, to that, if all those Russians are hearing over and over and over for days, precision strikes, you know, going out of their way to spare innocents fighting Nazis, it's it would be, re- you know, you said maybe they're just dumb. It would be really difficult to turn that around. I mean, it would take... Even if you sat them down and gave them all kinds of information from trusted sources, it would still be difficult for their minds to come to the conclusion that they were wrong. Right, right. It's interesting. Yeah, I'd say. And frightening for people who know that. (laughs) Know that that's the way our minds work. Oh, and I guarantee that uh, Putin and his boys are, are well acquainted in that psychology. Get the idea in first, and that becomes your idea. That's my knowledge, so I'm going to protect it. Everybody's always known the power of propaganda and, and you know, lies and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, whoever originally said you tell a lie enough times, pretty soon it becomes the truth, all that sort of stuff. It, it, well, it practically literally does. In your own mind, it becomes the truth. The truth is the truth. The truth doesn't change. Let's all recognize that. But it becomes the truth in your head. Sure. And what's the, you know, what's the difference to the person who's trying to win the day? But you also have to admit the Russians in that story might also be stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> no, but I hear you. I hear you. It's, it's frightening. It's freaking frightening. Here's a great for instance for you, and it's the other side of the coin. This is a long email. I'm, I'm going to see if I can skip around. Um, but it's from a Ukrainian listener who has friends and family in Ukraine and has been uh, in contact, born and raised in beautiful Odessa. Been in the States for 20 years, uh, says some wonderful things about how we need to respect and love this country more. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Great article in the Atlantic we're going to talk about later. Um, uh, in the Atlantic of all places about, hey, maybe everybody's waking up to the fact that the world is better off with a strong America. Hello. Hell, if only we'd been saying that for years and years. Anyway. Ah, I thought this was so interesting. Uh, As the days unfolded, she writes, two of my childhood friends with children and mothers in tow uh, were able to leave. Um, We would check in every morning and then every evening crying together over the phone to leave literally, and I mean literally, everything they had and known and run is hard to even imagine. Mm. One friend left her, her apartment, her dog, car, goldfish, all the houseplants, all the belongings, careers, life savings. Uh, the other, I, uh, go ahead. You're really touching some uh, some emotional spots there. Don't know about the house plants part. I could walk she away. Really from, cares about her plants. I could walk away from my house plants pretty easily. That other stuff, impossible. The house plants, eh, pretty sure I'd never think about it again. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find. Uh, oh, here it is. So that's the part where she's describing people fleeing, and it's very moving and, and interesting, and we'll hit that later. Here's the part I was looking for. Um, I want to thank you guys for staying on the Ukraine story. I was warning my family all this time before the invasion, trying to tell them Putin's amassing enormous numbers of troops on the border. It's an invasion. Get ready, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, I was warning my family only to be called crazy. And told I was overreacting to a story that Americans have created. Yeah. What the heck? That whole dynamic. And Zelensky was part of it. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the incredible uh, uh, Zelensky. What was that strategy? I still don't get it. Oh, I don't know if it was a strategy or if they believed it. Was it acting like it was unthinkable so that Putin would think it was unthinkable? It's like some some big tough drunk guy wants to fight you in a bar. You say to him, absolutely, I'm not fighting. There's no reason to fight here. Please. 
Let's act like adults. As opposed to, you want to fight me? Huh? You want to fight me? Maybe that's I it. I don't know. I wonder. That's that's my best guess, and it's not a very good one. Speaking of running out of your apartment or house with everything you have, uh, did you see that picture I tweeted out of the Kharkiv train station from yesterday? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. that sea of humanity. You're standing there, and you, you're, you're holding your little kids' hands. Oh, my God. Trying to hold on to them, from what I've understood. Oh. 60 Minutes with a pretty moving report last night as well of the... The trains, they just keep coming and going, coming and going. They they come into Poland, where the Polish people, by the way, who are distinguishing themselves as, as kind and generous beyond all expectations, are, are welcoming these thousands and thousands of refugees. And then as the trains return to Ukraine, Ukrainian men, by the thousands, are flocking back right. to their country to fight, hoping there's a gun for them. And there's a, a bit of an issue with that. They're having to turn away volunteers because they don't have enough weapons. Well, the, the free world is working on that. Work on um, it faster. Yeah, work on it faster. But uh, there are a number, uh, another great article I read over the weekend we'll get to later, the uh, number of Americans that, you know, fought in a lot of our wars, and that's kind of what they do, and they're watching this and thinking, hey, you know what, I could help out. A lot of Americans headed over there. Yeah. Um, uh, good luck with that, Putin. If you get all the, the best and brightest from around the world who uh, who like fighting and are supplied by the arsenal of democracy, as uh, we were called during World War II, Mm-hmm. That you could have a tough, tough go of it there. Well, and I get the American guys who are going over there in a way. I had it explained to me, and uh, the short version is uh, a lot of those guys got very, very good at the terrible art of warfare, fighting incredibly ambivalent right. fights. Right. I mean, you're trying to protect yourself and your guys, but what, you're bringing democracy to Afghanistan? Please, nobody believed that. Nobody really believed that. But but this fight is a righteous one. Yeah, that interesting angle Much more righteous. People who are longing for a chance to fight in a war where it's very clear I'm on the right side of this and what the goal is. That's Mm -hmm. an interesting talk about, uh, you know, trying to figure out psychology. That's an interesting one right there. And we got a lot of things we can talk about today. We can always uh, open up the text line if you got something to add. Uh, the text line is 415-295-KFTC. How, uh, how long is America willing to pay attention to this, do you suppose? That's another question. Um, I was thinking, oh, we'll be into this for a long time. But then I heard uh, somebody point out, we don't even pay attention to our own wars for very long. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, that's a difficult question to answer. Anyway, lots of stuff on the way. Stay here. Armstrong and Getty Show. So next hour, hour two, we got to get into the conversation of uh, no-fly zone. The president of Ukraine is begging for one. Wall Street Journal with a good piece, I thought, of let's stop telling Putin things we won't do, which made sense to me. <laughs> it's just, but anyway, we got a, there are a number of opinions on this, and we can right. get into that discussion. Well, and don't think I've gone nuts, folks. I did read something very persuasive about how the way to prevent World War III is to come on strong now, uh, which is an interesting right. point of view. But, yeah, uh, that makes sense to me. I can't wait to hear that. Oy, also, yeah. what we are doing, how is that not crossed over into the line of direct confrontation yet? I mean, men are slicing it really thin. Okay. 
Got a hold back? We'll talk about it next time. Hold back, man. All right. Have some restraint. Come on. Now's not the time. Time and a place. You know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well with my eating. But events Ugh. keep happening. And like today is my son's birthday. What, am I going to not eat birthday cake? I was in an event last night. They said, hey, there's dessert. I said, no, no, no. I'll have a glass of wine later. That's my calories. And they said, okay, it's warm peach cobbler and ice cream. <laughs> Go! If you, Go! Down goes Getty. What's the point of being alive if you say no to warm peach cobbler and ice cream? Yeah, I know. I mean, seriously. Well, I didn't, so I wouldn't know what the point is. <laughs> what, you're hanging around an extra 10 minutes of life, so you what? Mm-hmm. What, what are you going to do with those 10 minutes? Is it better than the time you spent eating the peach cobbler and ice cream? Right, exactly. And somewhere in the third world, there's a guy working very hard to make double XL t-shirts. Somebody's got to wear them, right? <laughs> anyway, where were we? Ah, came across this. So Jack and, and I, all sorts of people have said, man, we wish somebody take out Putin. Yeah. He's obviously an evildoer. He is a blot on history. We need to recognize whether you take a biblical view of this or a, uh, you know, a PhD level psychological view of this. There are evil people who do evil things, and we want them to not be alive anymore. But I uh, came across this description of uh, Putin and how he keeps himself alive. Number one, 69 years old. Why doesn't he have a heart attack? I can't tell you the number of nice people I've known who've dropped dead in their 50s and 60s. His, anyway. his girlfriend, the 38-year-old former gold medal gymnast for Russia. Surely she could cause a heart attack, if you follow me. Anyway. Bodyguards with bulletproof briefcases and high-powered pistols look like stand-ins. A classic. And food tasters, just some of the ways Vlad Putin protects himself from would-be assassins and coup plotters. What a relaxing way to live. Every time you step out of any room wondering who there is part of a plot to kill you. Yep. Putin, former KGB guy, of course, we all know that, uh, is apparently obsessed with both his security and his health. Protecting himself from assassins and COVID-19 at all costs. Uh, recent photos show him meeting with world leaders, even his own advisors at opposite ends of extremely long tables. He tries to social distance 20 feet or more at all times. And he donned a hazmat suit, complete with a full face respirator, before visiting a Moscow hospital treating coronavirus patients uh, a few months ago. Wow. Putin's bodyguards, who call themselves his musketeers, apparently they've read some French literature, uh, comprise a special unit within the Federal Protective Service. Uh, Much of what's been revealed about the security service comes from a website called Beyond Russia, run by a state-funded operation that also oversees the embattled RT propaganda network. Uh, Putin's bodyguards handpicked for qualities that include operational psychology, physical stamina, and ability to withstand cold and not sweat in heat. All right. Uh, I was looking at pictures of, of him and the guys that walk with him, who I assume are the bodyguards, and they yes. are they are some uh, tough-looking dudes. Right, right. I came across that, and I thought, wait a minute. So you're, like, tough as nails. You're willing to take a bullet. You know, jujitsu, karate, you're an f- expert marksman, but the get ready of you if you get a little moist when it's hot out. But like other human beings, I sweat when it's hot. Right. So Unlike I guess I can't. Prince Andrew, remember that? Um, but imagine every time you're about to take a bite of food, you think, oh, I know the food taster tasted it first, but how do I know they're not part of a plot? <laughs> 
They may be. It's easy to get nuts. So they've got armor-piercing bullets, bulletproof briefcases. Um, uh, whenever he's going to stay, gets inspected. Jamming devices are installed to promote uh, remote prevent remote detonation of bonds, bombs. A lot of this is like the U.S. Secret Service does, honestly. Sure. On, on the road, he rides amid a convoy of heavily armored vans that carry military special operators with AK-47s, anti-tank grenade launchers, portable anti-aircraft missiles. And when he steps out in public, there are four rings of security around him, starting with his personal bodyguards, etc., and outward. So he knows how popular he ain't. Well, he's less popular than he's ever been. The, the The number of people out on the streets in Russia and around the world are absolutely amazing and, and inspiring in, in many cases because they're risking a lot to be out there. Should we help establish a no-fly zone to help save those poor people of Ukraine? Uh, right now, it's not on the table, but... Um, or is it? Or is it? It's a discussion worth having. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. All that's coming up. Armstrong and Getty.